All right, I am here with maybe the most iconic TV actor of, of a generation, Henry Winkler, a.k.a. Uh, the Fonz. First time in a Ferrari. <laughs> All of the fan mail that I got, 50,000 letters a week. Wow, 50,000 letters a week? Yeah. That has to be some kind of a record. I got a call on the set of Happy Days from a police department and they said that we've got a kid on a um, on a ledge and he, he's gonna jump but he wants to talk to you. Will you talk to him? Where I got the nerve oh, wow. to talk to this boy, I don't know, but I did. And I, I said, you know, listen, how old are you? He said, I'm 17. He said, I want to be an actor and I haven't made it. I said, I'm 27 and I just made it. There's plenty of time. Right. Will you do me a favor? Will you walk in, get off that ledge and just live your life and not worry about being a star, just be a good person? All right, today I have very special guests for this book of the day. Uh, Henry Winkler and Lynn Oliver, and we're talking about New York Times best-selling books, but more importantly than that, we're talking about knowledge, uh, underachievers turning into overachievers, learning our educational system, what's good, what maybe isn't working, and at the end of the day, how to maximize um, your human potential, but also those people entrusted to your care, your kids, grandkids. We're going to talk about the story behind the books that really brought you to this place where you went from one of the most iconic and still iconic uh, actors uh, into somebody putting out things that are uh, influencing millions of children and kids all the it's way. It's shocking. Through. I'm not kidding. It's amazing. You know, we met for lunch. Um, I had fish that was really horrible. <laughs> and uh, we had a great meeting. And, um, and, and uh, we hatched Hank. And from that meeting, which was in 2003, 2002? 2002, yeah. 2002, uh, up the block from Paramount Studios. Um, and boom. What happened at that meeting wasn't just boom. What happened was Henry told me the story of his growing up. And he grew up with, with an undiagnosed learning challenge, so he always did poorly in school, but tried his best and never knew why he wasn't doing well. Right. So that story is, is so typical of so many kids right. who are feeling a pressure to do well and they don't understand why they can't succeed. And that was so moving to me and so relevant to today when one in five kids has a learning challenge right. that we decided to take his experience and fictionalize it, but keep the core of the emotion, and write books about a, a kid who is, like Henry, smart, funny, resourceful, optimistic, who just happens not to do well at school. Boom. Boom. Then, hence boom. You know, one of the things, I guess, that I want to get across today is, um, you know, the question is, for every human, young and old, how do you learn? Peter Drucker, the famous business author in his book, Managing Oneself, he says one of the foundational aspects of every person's success is knowing how you learn. So for you... I learn through my ears. Okay, so you're I, an audience. I, I cannot learn through my eyes. Um, I, I listen very carefully to everything, um, and then I absorb it, 
and I um, try to integrate it. But kids in school, I learned through my eyes, I, I was a traditionally good student, and kids in school are rewarded by a very traditional means of instruction, right. which relies on hearing something, processing it and reading, writing about it, and then giving it back. So kids with all different kinds of intelligence aren't necessarily rewarded in school. Right. Yeah, we have a very kind of archaic system. So I was reading when you were growing up, your parents were big on school and they were hard on you because you weren't right. You know, traditionally right. a scholar. How did you cope with that? What effect do you think it had and how are I, these books I helping? was constantly bewildered. I was constantly trying to figure it out. Uh, you know, I sharpened every pencil. I was completely organized. The only thing, I, I kept thinking all of this is going to help me as I move forward right. in taking geometry for four years, same course. You know, summer school, regular school, summer school, regular school, summer school, regular school. No matter how sharpened my pencils were going to be. Right. An isosceles triangle meant nothing to me. <laughs> And means here nothing it is. to most people. So I, I passed it in 1963. Here we are sitting in 2015. Not one human being has ever said the word hypotenuse to me. Right. So exactly. what the hell were they thinking? Right. Now what you, was that about? You ended up, though, at, you went to Yale. Yes, you I went, did. You went for acting, MFA. I went, yes, I have a master's degree in acting. How important do you think formal learning was for you in your success and happy days and rest development, all the things you've done, Emmys and... For me, yeah. I think it is very important. Okay. Uh, I say to every young person I meet who wants to be an actor, um, a male or female, uh, whether they want to be a director, whatever, we are storytellers. Right. You, you have to know the story in order to tell the story. Right. Formal training for me allowed me to practice, allowed me to fall down, allowed me to stand back up, allowed me to fall down, allowed me to stand back up, and to get a center that I would then use for the rest of my life. Right. Because every single detail that I learned, that I thought, that is the silliest thing I ever heard in my life. I don't even know what to do with the information they're giving me now. Every single bit of it became very important as I played the Fonz. Right. Or the um, Zuckercorn or the coach in the Waterboy. I used it all. So knowledge really was the foundation. That's one of the things that I tell people. Know how you learn. Knowledge is power. Yeah. What about mentors? Do you <gasps> think mentors were important in your success? I can't even begin to tell you. I had a music teacher, Donald Rock. Okay. He, and in the 11th grade, I was able to do a musical, but I had to join the choir um, in order to do the musical for the play. Couldn't sing. So I mouthed Gregorian chants <laughs> in uh, shopping malls okay. when we went out and to sing. But he, unlike all my other teachers in a private school, he said, Winkler, when you get out of here, you're going to be okay. Huh. One sentence that I cemented to the front of my brain. So was that in the back of your head, his encouragement when Always. things looked? Always. 
precarious or whatever. Always. I held on to that one sentence like DiCaprio holds on to wood at the end of the boat movie. <laughs> Titanic. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I'm not kidding. And I want to tell you something. It is, I will, people call me from, oh, I went to Emerson, oh, I went to Yale, and I talk to them either on the phone or I talk to them, we have coffee, or I watch their little films and I give them. I will do it if I can't even keep my eyes open anymore. I will talk, I wish people had done that to me. Lynn does that to me so as a writer. she's kind of an author. She is uh, my writer. mentor yeah. right here. This is the place where we're filming. This is where we have written every one of the novels together. Mm. This is um, Lynn's office. Lynn has taught me over the 11 years the rules of writing mm-hmm. that I had no idea existed. Right. Yeah, I, it's funny. Everywhere I go, when I ask people, it's successful in all walks of life. Mentors is one of those educational tools that's not talked about because we have such a formalized education system where it's teachers, maybe some tutors, and then other students. But there's not those. I always say you have to lead by inspiration, and a mentor can do that for you, whether Absolutely. it's a whisper in your ear you know, saying you're going to make it. Now, these books, you were telling me, they're not per se, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, a lot of parents watching this, you wouldn't necessarily buy these as a pure self-help book. These are no, fun no. and entertainment. These are and, comedies. Yeah. We have written comedies. It, it, Lynn um, uh, has written t- a lot of television. Uh, how many episodes of television? 300. 300 episodes wow. of television. And comedy. Mm-hmm. I have acted in over 300 episodes of television. Um, comedy. If we don't make each other laugh, it doesn't go in the book. Right. They are, <laughs> we figured that, you know how they say that the, the road to a man's heart is food? Right. The, the road to a child picking up a book, um, reading for maybe the first time ever, we believe, is comedy. Okay. That for is sure. the paved road. When you're on a hit show, people talk to you differently. Right. You, and if you believe it, if you believe the hype, yeah. you're dead. You can never forget where you came from. You can never forget that you're no taller than you were before you started. We get letters from from parents who say, this is the first book my child was ever able to read on their own independently. And they say, we walk down the hall and my child is reading in bed and we hear them laughing. They thought they were playing a video game. They come in to the room to say, you know, you were supposed to be in bed and they're reading a book and they're laughing. And the parent says, well, go right ahead. You can read as late as you want, you know, because it's so good for them. And it's such an unusual experience for kids to be able to read on their own and enjoy it. And we set out, that's one of, that's our first goal. We set out to entertain. Right. And then after the entertainment, you can insert any kind of right. uh, instruction or message or inspiration that you want. First, you have to entertain so that they turn the page. Turn the page. What so do you say, always say like, about um, the kids that whether they have a, a learning challenge or not, every child has? Something, yeah. I mean, these were not written. Th- these aren't books that are self-help books for kids with learning challenges. They're stories about a kid who has a learning challenge. Right. So what we say is one in five kids in America has a learning challenge. But if you don't have one, the kid next to you does, right. or your older brother does, or your younger sister. But even if you don't have a learning challenge, you have something. 
Yeah. You have braces, you have freckles, you're too pudgy, you're too tall, you're bad at basketball. Everybody has something in their life right. that they have to overcome. Yeah. And for children, what they tend to do is keep that quiet. They keep it inside them and no one ever knows. So this, these books give kids permission to say, oh, I have dyslexia. Oh, I'm too short. Oh, I have a body image problem and not feel bad about it. Right. Well, one of the things a uh, business partner of mine said, he said, Ty, you have to hide the broccoli sometimes with cheese. <laughs> so it's like these books, the comedy, the entertainment is the cheese that gets That's people right. to put in the work that they would normally do to read. Right. And then when he has a spelling test right, and he knows his words, he has he studied them backwards and forwards. He goes to bed. He doesn't need to do it again because he's done it. Yeah. He gets up, he goes to his class the next morning, and he, where did the words go? Right. I knew them. They fell out of my head. Maybe they're on a stairwell. Maybe they're in the street. I, and he starts hitting his head. And the teacher says, why are you hitting your head? He said, I think that the words are holding on to the inside of my brain. I'm trying to knock them into my mouth. <laughs> And then, well, of course, in these books, they'll remember, I mean, that's the idea, that this is about a kid that's learning challenged, uh, maybe dyslexic, whatever it might be, and they remember, hey, take it easy. It can be fun. You can still survive. You, you can make that's, it. That's, you know what, what you just said, that's the important thing, that children have to know that they are not defined by school. Right. That they are very smart human beings. And because they can't do math, or they can't spell, or they can't read, doesn't mean they're not having incredible thoughts. Right. And if we support that, they will fly like an eagle and meet their destiny. Yeah. I, like I know that. it. Yeah. I just, I know that is as true as my name is Henry. And one of the themes, the ongoing themes of our book, is that there are many ways to achieve what you want to achieve. Right. So if Henry wanted to write books, but he didn't know how to write, so he found a partner, partner to, right. to write. So we collaborate. And so he's able to say to the world what he wanted to say. I'm able to express something that I want to say, and we do it through collaboration. So what we see in Hank is that he finds ways. Right. He finds ways. In the very first book of the Hank Sipser series, he has to do a three-paragraph report on what he did that summer. Sends shivers down everybody's right. spine. He can't do it. He can't write it. So he, he went to Niagara Falls, so he builds a model of Niagara Falls huh. to give his report. Right. And at first his teacher, who's a traditional teacher, that's rejects that, but eventually they see that that's his way of summarizing what happened to him. The only mistake he made was that he made Niagara Falls out of cardboard. <laughs> and he completely floods the classroom. <laughs> now that didn't happen to me, but um, it could have. And the fear of having to write all the, that all those words, that essay, uh, was overwhelming. The fear of looking for a word in the dictionary. There are so many words in there. How am I going to figure out? I can't even sound it out. How am I going to find it? Right. <clears throat> and I think it's important for parents watching this and grandparents that are going to buy. These are uh, New York Times bestsellers. Uh, it's important to remember that um, you can't, be egocentric and that we're all somewhat narcissistic, all humans, it's a survival mechanism, but we always extrapolate that, well, I learn through books, so therefore the world learns through books. Right. And I always say we live in a world of 100 billion, a universe of 100 billion galaxies. 
we're just a little speck out here. And so when you have kids and grandkids, you must have an enlightened enough mind to go, well, I learned from textbooks, but this my kid might be the next Leonardo da Vinci, but he needs to be a sculptor oh, or an and, actor and so like you. We go into classrooms, and I'm telling you, anywhere in the world, we go into classrooms, and all we do is say, can anybody tell us what they're great at? Right. There is, from kindergartners to 12th graders, every child knows what they're great at. I'm great at being me. Right. I'm great at being a friend. I'm great at logarithms. You're great at logarithms? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I'm great at art. I'm great at basketball. Every one of them knows. Now, if you're quiet, what I, this is what I found as a parent. If you're quiet and you just watch your kids, they will tell you exactly who they are. Mm -hmm. They will tell you what they need at that moment. You, you, it will be as clear as day. And that's when you borrow in. Right. Now, for your personal success, I mean, you came out, Happy Days was this huge breakout. You went from right. uh, you know, not necessarily even being the main character and becoming the main character. If you were going back in time, yes, and or, or let me let me actually say this way: for we're talking about kids, if today's your last day on earth, you have to leave a little memo. What would that memo say to your kids to so that they could be successful? It might not be happy days for them. I know exactly what the memo okay. would say. Three months ago, the memo would have said, "If you will it." It is not a dream. Your will will propel you to where you want to go. I have now rewritten the memo three months ago. Okay. I will try. I would have, my life would have been empty of so many things if I didn't think the words, I will try. I thought, I can't fly fish, too complicated. I don't know how to get that rhythm, the, the equipment, I don't know how to use it. I will try. One of my favorite things in the entire world, fly fishing for trout. I can't use a camera. I, I, I don't know what all those knobs mean. What's an F-stop? It's like a train station in New York City. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I want to take pictures. I can't take pictures. For the longest time, I did not take a photograph. I will try. I realize you can get a camera, you point, you shoot, you might take a good picture. Right. I have pictures my son has said, hey dad, that's good. Lynn's uh, husband is a real photographer, takes magnificent photographs. I mean, I look at his and I look at mine and I say, ooh, that's someone to aspire to. I'm right. not kidding. So it's almost like a he mentor. Captures he captures a bird. How many times have you seen a bird? He captures it and you can't take your eye off it. Yeah. What's, if I could just add one thing to that. Go ahead. What's, sure. what's underneath I will try is the question, what stops people from trying? What mm -hmm. stops kids from trying? And almost invariably what stops them is fear. Fear, They're yes. afraid to fail, right? That's right. So, and where do they get that fear? They're not, we're not born with a fear of failure. We learn it. We learn it because we're not supported by our parents for trying. We're not supported by our teachers. We're made fun of by our peers. So the role in raising children 
is to make them feel confident enough, right. secure enough, so they'll try anything. Right. Yeah. One of the and some of that's that, that that I mean that that really is a key. That really is true. So that they will try. They're confident enough to to fly. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I always say, you know, one of the problems with school is that the real way the world's moved forward, whether you look at science, is that in the scientific method, um, it's set up experiments, which is another way of saying trying. The second you see life and school by, and and it's okay to have grades and so on, but when you set up everything uh, strictly graded, it pulls people back from the, I will try to set up an experiment. The second you, I always say there's no mistakes. There's just experiments run too long or not run at all. Yeah. Some people you see, they never even try like a camera or some people, you know, try and then they don't tweak a little bit. Maybe if you pick up a camera, you try it for a while and then you realize, well, maybe I'm a little bit better with a paintbrush. So you need to experiment with multiple things. You take a picture, you take a picture, you take a picture, and then all of a sudden you go, you know what? How about if I took that picture from here? Yes. All of a sudden you're tweaking in the thing that you want to do, yeah. and it starts to change all by itself. Yeah. It comes to you. Yeah, you rewire your brain. So let's kind of one important thing here, fear. That was huge you brought up because this is – Kids, uh, I learned, I live with the Amish. I've done some different things for a couple years. And the Amish have a one-room classroom. Yeah. And they, it's funny. It's a society where no one laughs at each other. So when you stick in the modern education, a whole bunch of kids in junior high or high school, all of the same age with the same insecurities, very easy for people to start. It's almost a nightmare if you're not a perfect on-paper kid. Right. If you're something wrong with you, you don't look the same there. So environment matters and fear gets built. And I guess one question I had just in your personal career, if you could take us back for one second, you're auditioning for Happy Day. They had a different person in mind. They had a blonde haired, tall, you know. I lived with fear. I lived with fear. Mm -hmm. I was afraid of everything, even outside, but outside I was a comedian. Right. funny or I was, you know, show off or whatever. The fonts. But inside, <laughs> I lived with fear, mm-hmm. except when it came to my work. Really? I don't know wh- how I made the connection, but when I auditioned, I would memorize because I couldn't read off the page. I couldn't read cold. Huh. Oh my goodness. I would make more mistakes than you've ever seen. And so I would memorize as quickly as I could. I would go in, I would do it, and what I forgot, I'd make up. Yeah. I would just improvise. And I read you really improvised. I that really. They, and you just swept them off their feet. I improvised. And then they would say, excuse me, you're not reading what's written. And I said, that's because I'm giving you the essence of the character. Yeah. You know? But I got jobs. Yeah. I got jobs. There's more than one way. There is not just one way to get what you want. I always say that your head, your instinct, your uh, just your feeling about what's happening knows everything. Every time I did not listen to my instinct, I was smashed in the mouth by a two by four. Do you think you had less fear in that because you were building on a natural strength? You were naturally- And because I wanted it. Okay. I wanted to win. 
I wanted to get that job. Yeah. And I was going to get it in, in the way best that I could get it. Because yeah. I sure wasn't going to get it by reading off the page. Yeah. Do you know? Uh, I, I auditioned for uh, regional theaters after yeah. I, I left uh, Yale, mm -hmm. uh, the drama school, for all around the country. And I forgot my Shakespearean monologue. <laughs> I made it up. Really? And people, they looked at me, and, but they said, whoa, you've got nerve. Yeah. And uh, I got some jobs. So you think that's important? I mean, Hollywood's almost the most competitive place of a kid's reading this. It's amazing how many kids aspire to make it on camera and Hollywood and artistically in music. But you know what? I want to say one yeah. thing. And this is off the subject, but this is my true point of view. You cannot come to Hollywood and think you're going to be a star like you see in People magazine. You have to love the process of creating a character, no matter what it is, no right. matter what the show is. I took making commercials for American Airlines. That character that I had in that little, I did it like I was doing Chekhov. Yeah. Like I was doing the most important thing. I never differentiated in importance. Right. Work was work. I was going to be great at it. Yeah. Or I'm going home. Yeah. And your friend, Ron Howard, I love his line where he says, be so good they can't ignore you. That's one of the things that I tell kids. Own things like you're talking about. Create mastery. Experiment. Try until you find that thing. But I'm telling you, he knew when I met him, he was 18. Mm -hmm. I was 27. And he said, well, what do you think about me being a director? And the power that came out of him as a human being at 18, I said, if you wanted to be a brain surgeon, I will be your first patient. Hmm. I trust that you will be able to do that because I don't think there's anything you can't do. What did he have? Force of will? Was force it? of force. Yeah. He was personally powerful. If, if you could um, uh, see waves coming off a human being, yeah. you would see lightning coming out of this kid who has big ears and kind of like, oh, hi, how are you? Nice to see right. you. Uh, you know, my parents are from Oklahoma. I'm a quiet guy. Powerful. Huh. Powerful. How do you think a, a kid or an adult watching this, how do you cultivate that? You feel it. You know it. You, you sit with yourself. You stay calm, and eventually, who you are shows itself to you. Mm -hmm. It is inevitable. It cannot be another way. Now, you cannot be impatient. If it doesn't come on Wednesday, it will come three years from now. Yeah. But it will come. It will come. Awesome. Well, on that note, I want to put the word out there. This is the one that's going to be... This, on the New York Times. This little guy, this is um, uh, Lynn. Uh, all right, so let me just say, yes. we wrote the Hank Zipser, um, uh, the world's greatest underachiever. We wrote 18 of them. Okay. He is in the first day of fourth grade. So they're for third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and reluctant readers, people who have real trouble reading, you can go up to the sixth grade, honestly. Okay. 
So there are 18 of these. Then Lynn said, hey, why don't we write prequels? Prequels. Okay. Uh, we'll put him in the second grade before he was diagnosed. Gotcha. This is the fourth of Here's Hank. Okay. And this one made its way all the way to the New York Times bestseller list. Wow. And this one, I like this one. This is about the ghost. We wrote four of these. This is a different. Ghost different... Buddy. Oh, Ghost Buddy. And Ghost Buddy is a series about um, an ordinary kid named Billy Broccoli. Uh -huh. And he moves into a new house with his new family and finds that his bedroom is haunted by a 14-year-old ghost who had lived there a hundred years before. So the two boys develop a relationship not unlike the Fonz and and uh, Richie and Richie, and also the so, the ghost sounds a little bit like the Fonz. It does. Hey, you could call me a ghost. You could call me a phantom. That works really good on Halloween. Do not call me a ghoul, because I think this is rude. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. The Fonz inhabited this office when we were writing this. Awesome. So make sure you pick these up for your kids, uh, grandkids, even friends of friends. Get people reading. If you look at the top, whether it's top business people, top people in Hollywood, it's knowledge first. Book is a conduit. Uh, for some people, books are easy. For some, they aren't. But knowledge is a must. So however you can get that into your own brain and other people's brains. But you know what we do? We don't write down to the children. Right. The emotion is real. The comedy is exaggerated. And this one, I, I just want to show you, this, this one, the, the Here's Hanks. Mm -hmm. Our publisher got a font from a dad in Holland hmm. for his children who had trouble reading that make it easier for the eye to track along the page. Yeah. Right? Yeah, so this font is, was developed for, for kids with the, actually with dyslexia. So that there's more letting in between okay. the letters. In between the letters. The so. ascending strokes go up higher and the descending ones goes lower. So that you can't act, you actually physically can't flip the letters around. Huh. And so what we found is it works for, for people with dyslexia, but it works for all kids. Right. If you're in the second grade, yes. you've only been reading for six months. Yes. And it's hurt it hurts your head. It's a yeah. hard process to do. So this makes the whole process of reading gentle on your eyes. Are these an audio? Uh, uh, I have not there. done them yet. No, yeah. I the did. Older Hanks are. Uh, the older, the older Hanks, I did four. Okay. I did uh, two or three of Ghost Buddy, but we haven't done. Here's Hank. In this one, uh, uh, a short tale about a long dog. He finds the dachshund uh, in the in the pound that becomes his puppy for the entire series. Awesome. In this book. What? Just to add one thing, you yeah. were saying that reading provides you knowledge. But in our books, it provides you something else that's really important for kids, which is empathy. Because mm -hmm. you were saying, where does that fear come from? The fear of being mocked. So we are very much part of the anti-bullying movement. Okay. And so empathy, if you are an empathetic person, you're not going to bully someone else because right. you know what it feels like to be in their shoes. So what we, what we hope to demonstrate by Hank's personality is that he has really good friends and he is a really good friend right and they accept people as they are without judgment and also i think in the third thing that's great uh that you also do is initial positive connotation experience with books yes. so if you get if you give that first impression whether it's on a first date or a first book you get if it's tremendous you know i was fortunate enough to have a grandmother uh that was wise enough 
to give me fun books at the beginning. Curious George when I was two or three. And so even to this day, now scientists know you literally change at the genetic level. You're born with your DNA and your genes, but epigenetics says a real bad bullying experience can mess you up for life because mm -hmm. it changes you at the identical twins. If one is bullied, they're born with the same DNA. One will have more stress hormones, all these things. And so with books, if you're a parent or a grandparent, get your kids having the ultimate positive laughing, laughing, all these, because then that will, then when a book comes up, that's a little more boring, but necessary for their life. Right. It's kind of like your mentor that sets you on that nice path saying, you're going to make it, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. Oh, you got the possibility. We get a lot of letters where the, the kids say, how did you know me so well? <laughs> you know, and that is a great compliment. What's the best letter you ever received? Uh, the best story from a kid? Oh, well, they're very moving ones. The, uh, in terms of the humor, one kid wrote, when I read your book, I laughed so hard my funny bone fell out of my head. <laughs> we, we didn't have the nerve to tell him there really isn't such a thing as a funny bone. But that's great. And, you know, I did not read until I was 31 years old. I was afraid to read. I didn't think I could do it. And here I am with Lynn, and we've written these books, and we get back feedback from teachers, librarians, from parents saying, a kid came into the library after hearing us speak and said, I know what the first book I'm gonna read right. is. Who knew that that was gonna be? We, we, read, we, we got a contract for four novels in the beginning, uh, you know, just to see what it would be like. And now we're in uh, countries all over the world we're on television all over the world except oh, yeah, you for the America. B you have the BBC, but it's not. It hasn't made it to the U.S. No, you'll break through. I'm sure. Maybe, maybe. But you know what? We're really happy just the way it's going. Humor works. Yeah. One. It's a last little. It works note. for I, me. I brought. Yeah. I brought my uh, one of my closest friends from a uh, long time ago, Zach, and he's an aspiring comedian, funny guy. What do you think? And a lot of kids want to be funny. That's a way when you're not, what, you know what's what the you key do? to comedy? I'll tell you, I, for me, Yeah. first of all, there is a timing that is God-given. Right. That comes with you out of the womb. Yeah. And you can't teach it, you can't. But if you've got timing, Right. I say your humor comes from your experience. When, you know, when I used to watch uh, variety shows growing up, like the Ed Sullivan Show, there were these great monologists, these great comedians who told these stories about life. Yeah. And they were so funny because you all, I know that. Right. I experienced that. Oh, my God. And that's a funny way to look at what I just went through. Yeah. I say you go from the inside out. Was Fonzie a little bit of that? Because you said you were fear-based. He was, and he was who the, I wanted to right, be. Right, he was the opposite. He was who I dreamt of being, but was not in my own self. He was confident. I was like a muffin that you keep sticking the, uh, the toothpick in to find out if it's done. Right. And I was still mushy until about like a 15 minutes ago. <laughs> you know? Well, I love, my favorite one with the Fonz is where you can't say you're you're not used to being I'm wrong. Rude. So I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I understand. I got. I'm rude. <laughs> I couldn't say I was rude. 
That was funny. And, you know, and that's so simple. Right. And I'm telling you, no matter what country you're in, somebody brings that up. Hey, say you. <laughs> yeah, because I showed somebody that had never seen Happy Days. They were laughing immediately. Yeah. They well, just that little had, there clip. Were, there were 21 writers in that room. Really? Oh, yeah. From 77 to 21 years old. Huh. Oh, Gary Marshall um, was amazing. You talk about a mentor. So he was another mentor. He's my Don. I huh. kiss his ring. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, everybody from Jay-Z, Oprah, you, everybody has this tale of inspirational people that they look back and say, had I not met this person, I'm not sure what would have happened to me. Right. And, and it's always that I have people like that. And you get that same feeling where you go, I would kiss the ring. You know, I'm not that kind of person, but that's the one person that I would say, oh, yeah. thank you. I was in an office and I was walking down the hall and a doorway was closing. And as it closed, I saw Jay-Z. I never met Jay-Z. And I went, oh my God, Jay-Z's in there. I mean, wow. So I'm, and then all of a sudden the door flew open and the executive came out and said, oh, Jay-Z would like to shake your hand. I went, he wants to shake my hand. He wants to shake my hand. I want to shake his hand. And that's how I, I as the door closed, we just saw each other and I get one. Wow, Jay-Z. Yeah. You know? How was it? He's a sharp guy. He, you know what? He That smile on his face, I, I will ne I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. What's your, uh, to close up, we're here at Hollywood. Everybody loves Hollywood. Your favorite or best Hollywood story that maybe doesn't, not everybody knows or, you know, behind the scenes or the thing that would. Mine happened with, um, mine happened with um, music. Okay. Um, music people. So I'm sitting in a glass a booth. I'm doing a radio interview and Bruno Mars walked by. <laughs> and I yelled into the microphone, that's Bruno Mars. <laughs> and he came in and we took a picture together. And I have that picture in my office. Bruno Mars. I met, um, uh, uh, I met um, Mick Jagger. And I became an eight-year-old girl. <laughs> I said, you're Mick Jagger. Hi, I have all of your albums. Albums, what am I talking about? <laughs> albums, that was like in the 09. Um, I have all your albums and I love your music and I saw you once at Madison Square Garden. And he did this. Henry. And then turned back to his girlfriend. And I said, okay, I'm gonna slink out of the restaurant now. <laughs> I'm just gonna crawl on my belly like a reptile right out of the, I'm so sorry I bothered you. Elton John, John, I really, oh right, your first name is Elton. Okay, okay, we won't continue this conversation. I'll see you another time, but I'm not as embarrassed that I get tongue-tied. Well, certainly not when you're doing your craft and in this interview has been great. Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, I read, I actually downloaded the books on my phone, read them, Maya read them, and uh, was texting me, haha, these are funny. <laughs> so, That's good. Uh, all ages, check them out, New York Times bestselling books, uh, get the newest one, Henry Winkler and Lynn Oliver, so thanks so much. Thank you, Tom. Really, Thank what a you. pleasure.